Welcome to Open Capital's Africa Insights Podcast. Our goal is to share on-the-ground insights from the African markets in which we work and give you the latest view on industry trends, challenges, and solutions. For some context, Open Capital is a management consulting and financial advisory firm working across 25 countries in Africa with a team of over 130 staff. We help businesses, investors, development partners, and the public sector identify opportunities and deliver unique, impactful solutions. I'm your host, Corazon Safuwandimi. Today, I'm speaking to OCA Principal and Humanitarian Support Lead, Reza Faisal, about private sector engagement with refugee communities in Africa. Reza, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Corey, and nice to be able to have this conversation with you today uh, on what I think is a very important topic. Fantastic. So, Reza, it's typically assumed that humanitarianism has to be donor-led, but we're increasingly seeing the private sector stepping in to engage with refugee communities over the past couple of years. Why is it important for the private sector to engage now, and what's the draw for them? Yeah, thanks, Corey. I think that's a really fundamental question around this topic, and it's something that for us to begin to answer and begin to move towards solutions is also really important to understand where we're coming from and what the backdrop of this is um, across the globe. Uh, Thinking about not just the last 10 years, but even the last two years, when we think about uh, the health, economic, and and political situations that we're in. Um, And in effect, more people are fleeing than ever before. There's nearly 80 million people forcibly displaced worldwide, um, and at least 25% of this in sub-Saharan Africa. And as you can imagine, it's largely these communities that are suffering disproportionately, disproportionately due to the pandemic. Um, and so that's sort of more on the recent side. And when we think about where we're coming from as far as the refugee sector is concerned at the meta level, it's also important to recognize how, as refugees, this is also increasingly becoming a growing urban experience. Um, 60% of refugees today are in urban environments uh, and 40% in camps and and traditional settlements. And much of that is moving in the urban direction. Um, And this is also a long-term experience for refugees. Um, We're talking about refugees being uh, in place for, you know, more likely 20 plus years than two years. Um, I think it's something like only two or 3% of refugees go home every year. Um, if not less. And we're also talking about a youthful experience uh, with half of refugees being under 18. And you think about all of this in the backdrop of COVID, in the backdrop of from the private sector side or the investment side, thinking about the growing trend of purpose-driven capital, you're bringing together here then two very interesting, um, uh, interesting ecosystems and thinking about how they can play a role in providing a much stronger holistic ecosystem solution. And so what all of this points to is a picture where solutions need to be multidimensional, where they need to be market-driven, where they need to be integrated to really stand a chance of offering that longer-term sustainable livelihood development for refugees, which as a global community we've been striving for for many, many decades. And quite simply, today we're facing a funding gap. From the humanitarian side, Traditional funding is simply unable to keep up with this rapidly growing global challenge. Um, COVID has only served to amplify this in many ways. Um, I think something like the latest stats show that only 50 to 60 percent of refugee funding needs are met annually. Um, And this shortfall is likely to increase as governments and traditional donors 
begin, unfortunately, and based on the realities of COVID, begin to look more inward. And so from the humanitarian side, um, many uh, you know, initiatives have been pushed over the last few years from humanitarian organizations, development finance institutions, and even political leaders have pushed for increased private sector engagement to address this global refugee crisis um, in a much more coordinated, holistic way, and effectively to help bridge the funding gap. But then you look at it from the other side, and you think about what is the private sector's perspective on all of this? And yes, you know, in turn, private sector players have stepped up to create durable solutions to, to the crisis, and, and there have been some, some good examples of this. But the reality is many firms still view supporting refugees solely as CSR, or you know, corporate social responsibility activities, and, and really aren't able to access and understand the depth of opportunities that exist and strategic opportunities that exist in refugee settings. Um, and so I think what we're beginning to see here is now a trend of understanding of a much more coordinated viewpoint to how displaced people are not just refugees and beginning to debunk some of those myths that refugees actually bring skills with them. Yes, they may have lost their homes, but they haven't lost their business acumen. Right? They're still coming in as employees and employers, as buyers and sellers, as businesses. Um, and so when we think about it and when we look at refugee communities, they're often very vibrant. They're full of transactions. There's a lot happening there. And from a private sector perspective, as a business, and this could be you know, a small business or a large business, what's really exciting is outside of core urban Cities, so take you know maybe Kenya and Uganda as examples. If you're looking at you know some of the, the the primary larger cities in these countries, outside of that, where else do you find such a setting of densely populated marketplaces and communities who need goods and services, and in many cases are able and willing and, and have the ability to pay for these uh, goods and services? So it offers a really exciting economic opportunity and an opportunity, I think, for us as as a broader sector, to begin to debunk some of these misconceptions of the economic potential in refugee camps um, and think about the opportunities that lie in these markets. Um, and, you know, it's also important to remember when we talk about private sector engagement in refugee communities, in many ways, we also have to think about and be, and be careful of not painting a single brush over private sector um, or what, what exists on the ground. And what I mean by that is, in, in many ways, private sector already exists, right? Host community and refugee-owned businesses, uh, SMEs, they're already there. That's private sector. They're already engaging. There's already a lot of growth in those economies. And it's now about thinking about how we bring in perhaps some of the, the larger private sector actors, actors, those sort of anchor value chain players into these economies, helping them to switch their mindsets, helping them to understand what's on the ground. Um, so that we can really view this as an exciting and important uh, set of nuanced opportunities uh, to make that paradigm shift and, and, and move the needle. So I think it's, you know, in some ways, it's, it's those two pieces coming together where we have this funding gap on one side. But on the other side, in reality, there is opportunities to, to really carve out very strategic um, and, and high potential economic activities for, for private sector.
So Reza, there's clearly a lot of opportunity on the ground to engage with these communities. What are the different ways that companies can engage with refugee communities beyond funding humanitarian support? Yeah, and, and we're seeing a lot of traction already in that space. And I think first and foremost, we're seeing an opportunity here for much more proactive private sector engagement and leadership uh, to drive solutions that is much needed uh, and sort of at an ecosystem level, much more careful curation of cross-sector partnerships, cross-sector collaboration and coordinations, for example, partnerships between private sector companies and development players who really understand how to access these markets, who to go to for certain goods and services. And then also, of course, thinking about the local government and local district officials that are in the various places. So I think those sort of at an ecosystem level is, is important to think about from a private sector perspective, to think about as far as collaboration is concerned, that companies can access this in a much more informed um, and strategic way. And then very practically, I think, you know, there's, there's a multitude of options. And we're seeing companies look at refugees as opportunities to access skilled labor, uh, which maybe they don't have in, in, in their own uh, in their own markets. Um, so you have examples, especially in in today's world, where there's a lot of opportunities of the gig economy and, and digital marketplaces to access some of these skills in a much more cost-effective way. So be that language skills, for instance, or very specific skills that say come from certain cultures um, that may not exist in, in in terms in countries where refugees are moved to. Um, so around employment, I think is one very practical opportunity. And we're seeing some, some, some good traction there. I think, though, more importantly is to think about not just refugees as individuals um, to employ or to sell to as, as customers, um, but also think about how refugee-owned businesses, and oftentimes these are very enterprising in nature, um, some of them are, yes, small and informal, or at least largely many of them are small and informal. But there are also much larger host community and refugee-owned uh, businesses. And I think thinking about how these businesses can act as key value chain actors, be it as suppliers um, or, or you know, input providers for core value chain actors or core large, large anchor private sector companies, those offer really compelling opportunities for companies to engage with with refugee communities. So beyond just, you know, I employed 100 refugees as part of my CSR program, it's actually thinking about it from a much more holistic, long-term, win-win kind of situation um, is much more powerful to, to develop sustainable livelihoods. Right. And are there already examples of private sector engagements that have succeeded in achieving impact on the ground? Yeah, and I think there's, there's certain sectors that have probably offered higher potential for commercial viability. So when you think about sectors like logistics or textiles, actually, where refugees already engage in quite heavily in both urban and camp-based settings. Um, and then things like, um, you know, more core essential needs, which refugees have an ability and willingness to pay for. So things around healthcare, things around education things around, you know, basic essential goods and services, um, there's a lot of opportunities there. And then on top of that, as, you know, refugees cross borders, 
There's opportunities to think about how financial inclusion plays a role, how sectors like banking and microfinance, uh, there's certain examples there, um, as well as in telecoms. Um, often, you know, that's the primary mode of, of communication here for, for refugees. So the first port of call is, is many times to get a SIM card uh, or an access to a mobile phone or be able to charge that through and maybe a potentially an off-grid energy uh, port. So all those sorts of cross-cutting opportunities uh, have offered um, some meaningful insights and certainly some traction for, for private sector engagements. There have been some interesting stories that have come up around uh, income sharing agreements for tertiary education, as another example, where you know refugees are willing to get, say, uh, skills-based uh, or vocational-based learning and training and certification or want to access higher education, but are, are perhaps deferring part of their payment on the promise of sharing, you know, future salaries as they join the economy and contribute to the economy more proactively. And um, so opportunities there, I think that's where, you know, there is the need for continued partnerships because I don't think any of the stakeholder types can go at it alone or solve this challenge alone. Um, the more we coordinate across private, public and development sectors, um, we can offer some really compelling long-term sustainable solutions. Um, and, you know, good examples of that are also partnerships like the Smart Communities Coalition that exists across the globe, but specifically also here in Kenya and Uganda. So a lot of success stories, a lot of case studies where we can learn from, and, and certainly a lot of hope for a lot of the, the funders and key stakeholders in this space for even more impact going forward. That's fantastic. Has there been growth in private sector initiatives over the years? And what challenges or obstacles exist for these firms who want to engage with refugee communities? Yeah, in many ways, I'd say, you know, the challenges or problems that exist per se for private sector to engage in these communities, uh, in these communities are not necessarily new, uh, but perhaps they're more pronounced to refugee communities. Um, these are challenges like access to reliable and quality data, um, being informed by a transparent and, and clear policy framework, um, you know, things around how stakeholders engage, um, coordination efforts, as I mentioned, are still emerging. Uh, and so there is duplication of efforts in some areas. And so those sorts of challenges, which in many ways, at least in emerging markets, is, is very much something that private sector faces uh, anyway, uh, yes, perhaps more pronounced in refugee communities um, is something that they have experience in, but perhaps a little bit more ex uh, pronounced in refugee communities. And then I think there are some 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 more nuanced ch challenges around access to these markets, especially if you're working in a camp-based setting. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's things there around how do you uh, think about what protocols to follow, uh, which development players you work with to get access, what sort of networks you tap into, uh, to think about how you can really now serve these marketplaces, these vibrant marketplaces uh, in a feasible way. Um, there are also broader challenges around financial and digital literacy, um, which, yes, exists also across perhaps other types of maybe rural-based populations, uh, but is also present for sure in refugee communities, which is something that private firms then have to think about as far as oftentimes not just selling a particular good or service to a customer, but also thinking about how they are training the customer in many ways, also building the infrastructure around it so that they can create much more robust economies going forward. 
Right. So we know that the majority of refugees under UNHCR's mandate are hosted by developing nations. What role do these governments play in encouraging private sector engagement? So I think in our experience, uh, working in these communities, working across last mile communities as well, it's all about game theory. Uh, it's really important to help every stakeholder understand what they bring to the table and what benefits they will get from partnering, from coordinating, and from collaborating. Um, or put some more simply, it's about creating the right incentives uh, and ensuring everyone can win through a partnership. You know, from the private sector, it's perhaps more obvious. Um, it's really important to show that it won't entering into these sorts of markets won't distort their markets. Um, how these efforts will allow them to lead to commercially viable results uh, and transition into you know that sort of market where they are much more familiar in operating in uh, and can allow them to achieve the financial and social impact results that they strive to achieve. And then I think you know once those conditions are met, private sector players are then much more willing and easier to engage. Of course, involving the government in contrast is more complicated. However, that, that same theory around incentives applies. Um, of course, understanding that government interests, priorities, combine often with you know limited and restricted resources, complicates their engagement. But it's it's important to understand on the ground what their top priorities are, and then from there allow them to, in some ways, dictate how partnerships need to be designed so that multiple objectives, sometimes even you know seemingly unrelated objectives, can be achieved so that we're able to create synergies overall. Right. And what role is open capital playing in supporting these communities? Yeah, and this is something that, as a team and also personally, we're really excited about. I think we're in a position here, in a very unique position, to join the dots, so to speak and offer a much more refreshed, solution-oriented, and proven perspective to this challenge. Yes, it's a global challenge. Yes, it's a challenge that's been around for many decades. But like we discussed earlier, it's a challenge that not only isn't going away, but is actually growing. And we need new solutions to the table. And more than ever before, we're having conversations with a whole host of different types of stakeholders, be it private sector, be it humanitarian actors, or DFIs, and even governments where they're looking at us to, to share our learnings, offer our market-driven approach. Um, and oftentimes, you know, our local team of 100-plus full-time staff to deliver these innovative and pioneering market-led solutions. Um, and today, we're working with many of the large development players and humanitarian actors in this space um, to help them to rethink their strategies, help them to develop much more market-based solutions, both at the camp level as well as the urban refugee community level. And this is across sectors and geographies, um, especially here in East Africa, where designing and implementing new interventions in sectors like financial inclusion, uh, technology-driven sectors, um, around textiles, around off-grid energy, healthcare, and several others. And so really the, the, the core value that we're bringing is that ability to think through an experience around developing and implementing a set of sequenced, integrated, demand and supply-led interventions in a holistic market systems perspective, as opposed to a siloed view, which allows us to then really come in with a perspective to build sustainable livelihoods um, 
much more holistically. And I think it's this refreshed perspective. Um, it is a challenge that has been with the communities for, for decades, and it, and it is growing. But ultimately, it's, it's these sorts of value propositions as a firm, building on our experience. Um, and ultimately, this aligns really closely with our mission as a firm to advance African economies and ties in really closely with our deep experience on the ground. So we're really looking forward to continuing to engaging in this space because I think there, while there are a lot of challenges to overcome, um, there are also a lot of exciting, innovative, pioneering solutions that can be built, that can be developed um, by bringing in the private sector in a very coordinated and collaborative way. Fantastic. Reza, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Corey. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to subscribe to hear more insights from our team across sectors and themes.